Worship team, if you're here, would you stand forward with me? Scott is a candidate for membership, and he has completed his membership class. He's been baptized here at Sweet Communion. He's been examined by our leadership team, and I, told, I was told you had a thumbs up. That's good. That's good. That's, good. That's, That's definitely good. good. We're so glad that with that approval of our leadership team and, of course, my approval as well, we present you to the church to be received, to be voted on and received as a member. So all those in favor, all members in favor of receiving Scott Engel as a member here at Sweet Communion Baptist Church, please respond by aye. aye. Any opposed by nay. He don't count. I know. Ushers, take care of that man. <laughs> We, we don't recognize that voice, but we'll take care of him afterwards. We got, we got a few gifts for him. All right. Scott, in all seriousness, we, it is a joy to see you already serving and using the gifts that God has given you. It's a joy to have you be a part of Sweet Communion. And on this special day, to have you be the one that is welcome in as a yes. member, we can send you the right hand of fellowship. Praise God. Amen. Give him a hand of fellowship. That's more than just symbolism. Our church is still growing, and we praise God for that. Amen. All right. I'm going to direct your attention now to our scripture reading, which is found in Acts chapter 20. So I invite you to turn there in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. If you don't have your own Bible with you, our ushers stand ready with Bibles available. Just raise your hand. They'll bring one right to you that you can use throughout our service. It's been our series. We've started this series from the start of Acts, and we are continuing it today. It just so happens. I always say that because, you know, with God, there's no such thing as just so happened. He just so happens it. He makes things happen. Well, it just so happens that today we will be going through Acts 20, and you'll see how appropriate it is for us to examine our work and to see what we are to be about here in Acts chapter 20. So as I read it, would you follow along closely? We'll be preaching from this section uh, this morning in our service. So let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Twenty-eight years ago, I didn't need these. <laughs> Today, I need them. Acts 20, please follow along as I read. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through the, those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Tophimus. 
These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where, he, where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there. For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when, we, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Midaling, or Midaling. And sailing from there, we came, we came, excuse me, sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to, the, to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God 
and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. May God guide us as we speak on this text today, giving us understanding and challenging and encouraging our heart in his truth. If you will remain standing with me, we'll bow in a word of prayer. And our choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity for ministry that you've given us here, the opportunity to, to take the gospel, to present it, to live it, to be a testimony of your grace, of what you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ by paying for our sin, your Holy Spirit prompting us to believe bringing us to life so that we would believe and changing our whole thought process. We thank you for this group of believers that are gathered here in the gospel that's gone forth from this place. We pray that you would just continue to bless your people here, that we might grow, that more and more might come to hear your word, come to trust in Christ, and their lives be transformed. We thank you for each one that's been a part of this. There are several who are no longer with us, but they are with you. And we thank you for each one of them. Their contribution to your work here. Their memory is fresh and steeled in our hearts, and we thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that we might be faithful until you call us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Let my mouth sing your praises And let my hands do your work Let my heart hide your word I will bless you with everything Let my spirit rise up mm, And let my flesh fade away Let my life give you glory Pure and acceptable, my offering. Oh, Lord, I just give you 
we will join crying holy yeah. forever we will worship you in the dawn of the morning I will lift up your name contemplating your goodness and how you love me in spite of myself I'll look back and remember how you reached down to save me and with your mighty hand you guided mm, you are truly the ancient of days your feet forever we will worship you oh God Acts 20 we look at today and there's a message here there's a central thought that flows throughout this chapter, and we want you to hear it, we want you to be encouraged by God's truth and God's word. You notice the first couple words in this passage, it says, after the uproar ceased. We see that a lot in Acts, and we saw that a lot in Paul's life, that as he works to give the gospel, to spread the gospel everywhere. There were people who were receptive to that gospel. And there were also a group, more than a few, 
who resisted that, and not just resisted, but fought hard against it. And Paul had just come from this place in Ephesus, and there was a great riot. There was a great uproar, and they had to be quieted. They didn't like what Paul was doing, and they caused a huge disturbance. But notice after this, it says, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, I kind of circled that word encouraging them, because this is what Paul's ministry was about. After coming through this huge, um, stressful riot situation, he encouraged the people around him. He left for Macedonia, but before that he spent time in Ephesus encouraging them. Remember that encouragement comes from the Word of God. True encouragement comes from there, and truth, it comes from the truth that is in God's Word. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So God himself is the one who gives true comfort. Isn't it odd that people today look for comfort from a pill, look for comfort from a bottle, look for comfort from a smoke, from a thrill, from a taste, from an experience, instead of seeking the source of all comfort, God himself. But that's just like the world. They're comforted by a lie, something that is false, and disturbed by the truth, the gospel. Last chapter, in chapter 19, we recognize this, that that crowd that was in an uproar was disturbed because the gospel was being presented. And they were quieted down and comforted when basically the mayor of that city came and said, now y'all know that the, the true God of Artemis has been here and we've seen her precious stone fall from the sky. Basically saying, we know we're something special and we know that Artemis is true. That's how he quieted the crowd. They was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Really? Quieted by a bold-faced lie, but disturbed by the truth. That happens often <laughs> with the gospel in our lives. Paul says farewell and to those people after he comforted them and he left for Macedonia. He traveled throughout the regions giving encouragement. And again, that encouragement came not from false platitudes, but from the truth of God's word. Well, actually, God's word is not encouraging to everybody, is it? It would be if they received it. I like what we did yesterday at the uh, rescue mission. We had chapel service there, and Brian was preaching and he says, you know, the gospel is to you either a curse or a blessing. You choose which one it is. 
It's a blessing to those who receive what God has to say and acknowledge their need of God and they receive God. It's a curse to those who reject God and will have nothing to do with that. So you actually decide whether or not it's a blessing or a curse. The very familiar scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son in John 3, 16, that whosoever believeth him would not perish. In other words, those who don't believe will in fact perish because they refuse to believe in the name of the Son of God. So it is in fact a gospel that is a curse to those who reject it and is a blessing to those who receive it. What is it in your life? Have you received it? Are you welcoming God's word? Then we get to chapter, uh, in chapter 20, we get to verse 7 through 16. The wonderful story of Eutychus, a youth, who listened to Paul preaching. Paul preached for a long time. He preached past midnight. It says this, this young man was in the third floor window, and it, it, it we probably can, 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 can learn that it says many lamps were in that place. And so it probably, uh, probably gave off fumes and it was good to be close to a window where you could get some fresh air. And as he listened to Paul, who kept on and kept on preaching, he fell asleep. It says he fell into a deep sleep and he slipped, fell out the window to his death. Now this is a fascinating story when it says that Paul went down to see him and it says he bent over and taking him in his arms he said do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Paul is not saying that he didn't suffer from the fall. In fact he died. This boy died because of the fall. But Paul says, don't be alarmed. What Paul did was brought him back to life. He resurrected a dead boy and brought him back to life. But there's more in that paragraph that we should get. What's the main point there? You see in verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. Believers were meeting that first day of the week is that Sunday. Believers were gathered together on a Sunday. It was, a, it was a different than the custom of the Jews who met on the Saturday or the Sabbath. And that difference had been changed because the same reason why we worship today on a Sunday is because it is the day that Jesus rose again from the dead. So you can see believers were making a point of coming together and worshiping on that Sunday. It says a couple of things. They were gathered together and it uses the term to break bread. And that was a term of them having a fellowship that we today call communion. They called it that it then they called it that then as well. It is a time when we recognize what Christ has done for us, represented by that wafer or that bread that represents his body, that juice that represents his blood. We recognize that Jesus 
the God of heaven stepped down from heaven, took on a human body so that he could represent human beings and die for them on the cross. His body, he had a human body. He's 100% man, and yet he never stopped being 100% God. He went to the cross as a human so that he could die that never ceased to be God, and he shed his blood to pay for my sin and for your sin. We represent that at communion. That's what Paul was having and sharing with these believers. My point is this. They were gathered together and Paul was sharing the gospel and the comfort that comes from the gospel with them. Paul was so excited about this that he talked and talked and talked. It says here, he prolonged his speech until midnight. Well, the boy got sleepy, fell asleep. You know, this isn't a message to to, uh, condemn sleeping in church. Although, you know, (laughs) we can use it for that. I have a brother who shall not be named who would tell me, that uh, when he was caught sleeping in church, he would just say that um, he was looking at his tie. (laughs) The point is that Paul was so intense in his sharing of the gospel, he gave of himself so much that he spent the whole evening preaching and sharing God's word. He says, prolonged his speech. This boy went into a deep sleep. It says he fell out of a third-story window and was dead. I want you to notice verse 11. When Paul had gone up and broken, excuse me, Uh, verse 10, Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. In other words, Paul did a miracle and and the emphasis is, you know, it's not about about showmanship. He simply took the boy and says, be alive. And he was alive. What did he do after that? Verse 11, when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, in other words, he went right back to their fellowship of communion and eating. And guess what after that? He conversed with them a long while until daybreak. Now, wait a minute. He had just preached to midnight. Boy falls out the window, dies. He brings them to life, goes back to preaching until daybreak. Y'all think I preach long. I don't have, God has not given me the gift to raise people from the dead, so I'm not going to test that and preach till midnight or preach till daybreak. Paul was so intense in this gospel ministry that he shared with them, and he spoke not just till midnight, but all night long until the sun came up. What did he do after that? It says he so departed. You can see in verse 13 that he continued his ministry. He left and headed towards the next place. What you'll see in this, in this section of Acts, you'll see uh, a number of names and you'll see a number of places. 
And so often in our lives, we emphasize the places and the times that we have to do things. But what is the thing that we really have to do? Paul was about the Lord's work of speaking the gospel. We see the term, as we mentioned in verse 1, much encouragement. Again, in verse 2, much encouragement. In verse 7, it says he talked with them. Again, speaking the gospel. Verse 7, he prolonged his speech. Again, his speech was focused on presenting God's truth in God's word. This is the word that brought comfort. And so when he says to them, don't be alarmed that the boy has fallen and is dead. It's a word that brings comfort, comfort to them. And at the end of verse 12, it says they were not a little comforted. That's a, just a way of saying, wow, it was a big relief to them. The comfort that the ministry brings is of great comfort. To go on, you see in verse 13, Paul is again moving on in this part of his journey. We see the places where he is visiting and touching down at, but there he is on a mission. In verse 16, it tells us what that mission is. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem. And on his way back, he stopped at several places because he had a passion to share God's word. But why was he headed back to Jerusalem? Well, for those who, 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 who studied Acts and, and, and looked through the, through the scriptures, you realize that Paul was taking a, a, a love offering back to the saints in Jerusalem because they were suffering. There was, there was a um, uh, there was a drought there. They, they, they were suffering, no food. They, they had a great need of resources. And Paul had already asked believers in those areas that he had done his missionary work in to make a collection. And Paul was taking this collection, taking it back to Jerusalem to minister to the saints who were in great need there. In his heart, he had a passion to finish this work. And in verse 16, he says he was hastening to be at Jerusalem. In fact, he didn't want to stop at Ephesus, not because he didn't want to see those people, but because he wanted to stay on a path to get him back to Jerusalem to minister to those who had a great need. And now we come to verse 17. It says... From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. We, we're told that the town of Miletus is about 30 miles outside of Ephesus. Ephesus, as we saw in chapter 19, a great work was done there. There were many believers, and there was a lot of opposition there as well. Paul had stayed there for a long time and administered the word and built up a church, built up believers there. And on his way back to Jerusalem, he didn't want to stop there again, but he couldn't help but to minister the word of God to the elders in Ephesus. By then, a church had been established. Men had been, had been appointed as elders in, in, in that church to minister to those people, and Paul wanted to minister to those elders. Verse 18 
3, verse 17, and part of 18 again. Now from Miletus, he sent to to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said, again, he spoke. And he spoke words of encouragement to them. And this is what we want to share from what he has spoken. When he starts off, he himself is an example. He speaks of his personal example. In verse 18, you yourselves know how I lived among you. In verse 35, he says, In all things, I have shown you that by working hard. In other words, he himself was an example to them. He just didn't tell them what to do, but he showed them by his own life, his example. Let's look specifically at what kind of life he had lived as an example to them. Several things that, that mark his life. One was humility. Humility. He says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and tears. So we see humility and compassion that went with, with his passion to serve them. Another characteristic of Paul's life in his ministry is endurance. And I'm mentioning these things because I said Paul is an example. If he is an example, then he is showing us. First of all, let me let me track that. He is showing the elders of the church how they should be. And since he's showing that to elders, the elders are to to pattern that to believers. So when you look at the call or, or the 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 character of elders in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, you'll see that God has, has, has listed the qualifications, the type of character that the elders or pastors or bishops, same term interchangeably, that they should be. And the purpose of their example is so that others would follow that same character. And so these things are not just supposed to be among those who are elders, but to all believers, this humility, this compassion, this endurance. Paul says that he, that he faced hardships, and he shows that he faced these hardships, but not just that he faced it but, it, but that he kept on his purpose and his goal to please God, to finish the work that God had called him to, in spite of all the hardships that he's gone through. Anybody who's going to serve Christ is going to see hardships in their life. We've noticed some of those in our own church history. It's not that we've gone through a special or, or, or that we're special in what we've gone through. But everyone who serves God is going to have to endure some hardships. As I look on your faces and know of some of your life experiences, I see those things that you are going through and, and some of you have come through already. And that God has brought you through. 
But it's a fact. If you're going to serve Christ, you're going to go through some hardships. And so you need to endure. I want you to notice verse 22. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit. Think about that. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem I'm going there to be a blessing to others, but I also know everywhere I go, I get attacked. And you can see that as you read through this, even this portion of Scripture. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me when I get there. Because he knew that hardships was a part of his life and a part of his experience. Constrained by the Spirit is the point that I wanted to make. This is something the Spirit led him to do. In other words, God doesn't, you know, we pray some ways that aren't consistent with God's purpose. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, to, 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 to pray according to the Father's purpose. And what we do is just tack in Jesus' name on our prayers and act like it's okay. And then we pray that God would just steer us away from all of the hardships. Now, I don't think there's nothing, there's something inherently wrong with asking God's provision and asking him to heal, asking him to steer us away from some things that can hurt us to protect us. There's nothing wrong in asking that. But we also need to recognize that the path that God has us on will involve hardships. And so he doesn't just want us to pray to escape, but pray that he gives us the power to persevere through those hardships. Because that's his purpose. Remember in, in, in Acts chapter 9 when, when God had called Paul, Paul was on his way, his name was Saul, then he was on his way to persecute believers and God struck him down by a strong light and he says, Saul, Saul, Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? He was shocked. Who, who, who are you? He thought he was serving God and what he was doing, but God revealed to him that no, you're going exactly against me. And Jesus revealed to him, I am saving you for this purpose, that you will take my name to the Gentiles. You will take my name to kings and those in authority. And he says this, See, that, that sounds good. You're going to speak between, you're going to speak before people of, of great uh, uh, presence and, and great position. But he says this, you're going to suffer great things for my namesake. It was part of the Spirit's design for Paul's life that he will endure certain trials. Now, that's not to discourage us. With, e with every trial that God has us to go through, he empowers us. He gives us the power to go through. Paul says, the Holy Spirit constrained me. He's the one that guided me and directed me and has as a part of his purpose and his plan for me to go to Jerusalem and all that's attached with that. And that's why he could say in verse 24, I do not count, account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus 
And what is that ministry? To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I want you to see that God had called Paul to be faithful to the ministry of being a, testi- being a testimony of the gospel. One who testifies is one who, who comes in a formal setting of court and simply says what he has seen and what he has experienced. Paul was set to testify. I want you to notice several uh, uh, um, um, points that he makes here. In verse 20, what Paul did, he, he uses the, the phrase, declaring to you anything that was profitable. That's one thing he did, declaring to them the word of God. Verse 20 says, teaching you in public and from house to house. In verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. Testifying what? Of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 24, testified to the gospel of the grace of the Lord. He had a mission to speak the truth of the gospel everywhere he went to everyone he came in contact with. And Paul wanted to be faithful to that ministry. And he was. God is calling us to be faithful to the ministry of communicating the truth of his word. In verse 25, he uses the term proclaiming the kingdom. In verse 27, declaring to you the whole counsel of God. In verse 31, he says, admonishing everyone with tears. Another characteristic of Paul is that he was selfless. Selfless. We're going to serve God. We have to have that sense of honoring God and not promoting ourselves, not putting ourselves first, but putting God first. That's what selfless selfless means. He he displays this character in a couple of words. In verse 22, he says, it's not knowing what will happen to me. In other words, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, but I'm not concerned what's going to happen to me. Verse 24, I do not count my life of any value. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver. I'm not in it for the money. It's not about me. Verse 34, these hands ministered to my necessity and to those who are with me. In other words, Paul worked hard to, to, to fund what he needed to do for God's work. And not just that, for others around him, he says. Verse 35, it's more blessed to give than receive. He had an attitude of selflessness. And then he speaks to this group of believers, to to these elders of the churches in Ephesus, and he says to them, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention, verse 28, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He says, now I've been an example to you, and now I'm headed to Jerusalem, 
and I don't know what I'm going to encounter, but I want to leave these last words of encouragement for you. And here is what I'm saying to you. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. What he's saying is, let God's word direct you, direct yourself according to God's word. You notice he says, pay attention to yourself first. <laughs> you can't help somebody until you are right with God. You can't be an example. You can't tell others what to do until you are willing to be that example yourself. So he says, pay attention to yourself. Now, he's speaking to elders, but that same thing applies to us in whatever position God has called us in. As we hear his word, pay attention to yourselves. And then he says, you have responsibility not just to yourself, but to others as well, and to all the flock. He says that they are overseers, this group of elders. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word there is bishop, one who was, had the responsibility and care of others. They were to care for the church in verse 28. To care for the church. But notice the church is, is, is listed as the church of God. It's not their church. In fact, they are shepherds, yes. But in the true sense, they're under shepherds. Jesus himself is the shepherd. The sheep belong to him. They are to care for God's sheep. For God's flock. It's not theirs. It belongs to God. He reminds them of that. And then he ends in verse 31 says, Therefore be alert. Look out, watchful, caring for. Keep an eye out for. That's, that's a sign of a good shepherd, isn't it? looking for the dangers that will come. And Paul talks about what those dangers are. He's simply saying that there's going to be attacks from outside and there's going to be attacks from inside that you need to be watchful for. In fact, Paul is saying, I'm responding to that. I've been that shepherd that's been watching over the flock and I've guarded it against, as God would have me to, guarded against the attacks from outside. Those ideas and, and, and things that would threaten um, our, our, our belief and, and uh, uh, plot themselves against us. But there's also attacks that come from inside, from within. But whatever they are, we are to be alert for them. I want to close this as the way Paul closes for you to get the, the gist of what was being said. In verse 36, it says, And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. Now we understand that. They were sorrowful. But I want to tell you something. They missed the point. They missed the point. Maybe they would get it later. Maybe they would contemplate on what Paul said. But right away, 
they missed the point. If, if he said all of that and all they got was, oh, man, we ain't going to see you again. What's going to happen to you? You're in danger. And we're sorry because we won't see you again. Paul had already said he's not concerned about his own life. So certainly he, he wasn't saying this for them to have this great concern for his safety. He had already gone through these trials, through these hardships. He says, I'm ready to go and I'm continuing to do God's work. And whatever's going to happen to me, I'm in God's hands. They felt sorry for him. But that was not his thought. And that's not what he was sharing. What he's sharing to them is I want you to be steadfast in taking this gospel and continuing to, 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 to speak this gospel and trust that God will supply the strength that you need to persevere. So keep on going. Not that, oh, poor me, what's going to ever happen to me? That's not what Paul wanted to emphasize to them. He's saying don't get on the emotional side of your fear, but serve God and be faithful in it. Paul's heart was to encourage them and to use the gospel, God's word, to continue to encourage them to stay on the path of living and proclaiming the gospel regardless of the hardships around them. And so he says to them, verse 32, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. He says, I'm, I'm very well aware of those things that are a threat to us. And I'm aware that I won't always be around. But I'm comforted with this fact. I commend you to God. It is God that keeps you. It is God that strengthens you. And God is able to allow you to continue to speak and live this gospel. Paul says, I'm simply handing you over to God. And I think in an emotional way, they surrounded Paul and cried for his safety. Wrong response. Paul wasn't looking for that. He was looking for them. Now, there's nothing wrong with loving Paul and, 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 and not wanting him to suffer. But that's not what Paul wanted. What Paul was saying is, carry on this work. Carry on this this work. He says, I've set the example for you. Carry on this work. Trust God to supply all that you need to continue doing this work. Father, we thank you for your word and your challenge to us today. We encourage by the life of others, by the gifts that they bring, you've given them and how they use them. But we encourage to be faithful. Hardships have come and will continue. 
But you've called us to preach, to proclaim, to declare, to testify, to speak and not stop speaking your word, your truth, to live it out before those in front of us. There's nothing more important than that. Now I pray that we would do that faithfully here at Sweet Communion. We'll continue to serve you. We'll continue to look to you for the comfort that we need to continue. Not worrying about what might happen next. Not worrying about how we're going to deal with this or that. But trusting you, you'll bring about the solution. And you do. You girded Paul with friends around him, support, encouragement, wise counsel, strategies for getting where he needed to go. You directed his life. He trusted you, and now he's commending these believers to do the same, to trust you, but to be faithful in serving you. I pray, Lord, that you'd raise up a group of steadfast believers. Some we've had and some you have taken to yourself along the way. We're thankful for their service. We're thankful for their example. May we follow that example to continue to be steadfast, to be faithful in what you called us to do. We thank you for 28 years that you've given us and we pray whatever amount you've given us individually and collectively, that we will serve you in each of them. Lord, we pray that you'd add people to this ministry. There are folks today, perhaps here today, that haven't trusted Christ yet. We pray, Lord, that you'd use our lives, use your word, use your Holy Spirit to speak to their hearts right now. Let them realize there's nothing more important and to follow the purpose that you have made for each individual in their life. Speak to your people today. Continue your work, even through us here at Sweet Communion. In Jesus' name we pray.